from the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer, your host. This 420, we want to talk about a tool that can be used to address the horrific consequences of the war on drugs. Clemency. Throughout U.S. history, presidents and governors have had the power to grant clemency, either by pardoning people of their crimes or by reducing their sentences. Clemency can be used as a check on the criminal legal system, which often imposes unjustifiably harsh sentences and disproportionately criminalizes black and brown people, disabled people, and poor people. As Americans grapple with the racism and punitive spirit that has fueled mass incarceration, more and more advocates have called on chief executives to use their power to confront racial injustice and end imprisonment that is no longer just or justified. Few issues highlight the importance of clemency more than the unequal treatment of drug convictions. Of the 1.9 million people who are currently incarcerated in the U.S., 191,000 are in jail or prison for drug-related convictions. Today, many of these convictions would be erroneous, as many states adopt public health approaches to drug use and move forward towards legalizing marijuana in particular. Today, we're going to look at the redemptive hope clemency can provide, both to people and the criminal legal system as a whole. We are joined by Kemba Smith, who received clemency in 2000 and has been a prominent criminal justice reform advocate ever since, and Cynthia Roseberry, acting director of the ACLU's Justice Division and key leader on Clemency 2014, a historic initiative of more than 4,000 lawyers representing over 36,000 clients as they went through the presidential clemency process. Kemba and Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Kendall, for having us. Thank you so much. Clemency is an essential and underused resource in our criminal legal system. Because listeners may not be familiar with the process that could change so many lives and has changed yours, Kemba, I was wondering if you could explain what clemency is to our listeners. Clemency is a recuse, a a pardon from uh, the president. It doesn't... um, It doesn't erase your record or anything, but basically you're just released from um, confinement. And so it can be quite the process, um, whether it be on a state or federal level. Um, With my experience on the federal level, when my parents were fighting to bring me home, um, and at the time, you know, I had a toddler son. Um, I gave birth to my son while I was incarcerated. Um, they were um, trying to garner support from any and everyone um, that would hear my case, but basically it turned into um, a mini movement. And so it actually um, took, you know, people signing um, letters, um, signing petitions. Um, and eventually there was someone who had used, used to work on the U.S. Sentencing Commission who um, decided he read an article about me in the Washington Post and his wife um, threw, she was the one that threw the article at him and told him to read it. And she she was like, you created this, you do something about it. And basically he ended up um, heading up a campaign um, for my clemency. And basically he said that the campaign had to be run like a presidential campaign. And so, you know, I'm grateful that, 
you know, I had this influential person that wanted to help me. And there were um, the NAACP was representing me even before um, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund ended up representing me before I actually um, applied for clemency because they had hoped that I would see relief through the courts. But once they exhausted all of those um, possible remedies through the courts and the courts wouldn't hear any of our um, any of our points, um, they knew that this was the only way um, to move forward. But again, there are you know hundreds of individuals, thousands that are trying to go through this process, and they may not have a national organization or the media's ear um, in order to or a politician um, to support their um, clemency process. So it, I was told and still believe that it was pretty much a modern day miracle then um, for me to have the type sentence that I had to receive clemency. I was sentenced um, to 294 months in federal prison as a first-time nonviolent drug offender, and I served six and a half years, um, and that's when I was granted executive clemency from the president, President Bill Clinton. Wow. Cynthia, how symbolic is Kemba's story? Um, How often do we see that kind of clemency granted by a president, you know, uh, obviously there are different levels, the federal level and the state level. Um, how often are, do we see people have the experience that Kemba did where her story was so powerful and moved so many people that it moved mountains and she was released? So the answer to your question, how frequent, uh, Lee, does that occur, uh, would be too infrequently, right? Akimba named it as a modern miracle, and it shouldn't be. Clemency should be a normal course of business for executives, both the president and governors, um, to address some of the horrific policies that have been passed Uh, especially when we talk about drugs in our nation. The war on drugs we saw um, incarcerated so many people from Black communities particularly and actually fueled mass incarceration. Now we know from President Nixon's own aides that when he formulated the war on drugs, it was intended to do just that. And in many instances, clemency is the only remedy that people have to get out to remediate their sentences. There was a time when clemency was used more frequently. We saw um, large-scale clemency after uh, the Vietnam conflict, uh, where folks who had decided that they didn't want to fight in that conflict were given clemency uh, from the charges of draft dodging. Right. And we also saw it very early in American history during the Whiskey Rebellion. Uh, but modern clemency has been limited to sort of end of the year gifts. And it, it just shouldn't be that way, especially given the fact that we have mandatory minimum sentences. We have lots of ways uh, where mass incarceration is driven and folks don't have any way of getting out other than uh, an executive granting them clemency. And we now know that we made mistakes in the past with respect to sentencing. And so to address those mistakes, executives should use clemency more often. And you shouldn't have to wage 
a campaign the way Kimba and her family and friends had to wage to have her released. Ever since my release, I can remember being home and um, continuously like tearing up and crying. And my mother would ask me, you know, what's wrong with you? And I told her that, you know, I was happy that I was home and happy to be home with them, but that I felt for the women that I left behind. So I had a sense of survivor's guilt and feeling like that I needed to continue to be a human face for those people that I left behind. And in particular, one of those people that I left behind is Michelle West and her case is out of Michigan, but she actually has been in um, federal prison for over 30 years and is a first time offender. And um, she not only has a life sentence, but has a double life sentence plus 50 years. So um, she has attempted to receive clemency from the Obama administration and the Trump administration. And I pray that um, before she's released, that she will have her opportunity at freedom. And it does get back to Cynthia's point. It does get to a point of where, you know, it shouldn't be a one-off. So I hope that someone would hear her um hear her motion and grant her clemency as well. I love that. I love that you use the opportunity to share another story with us because that's what this is all about, right? And why you're such an effective voice today is that you have those relationships with people. And it's a it's a real generous thing that you do, Kemba, to keep fighting this fight on the ground. I want to dig into the the war on drugs more here because I think it's really important to highlight that these kinds of laws were created to disproportionately surveil and incarcerate Black, Brown, and poor communities. And that these laws that people were, these convictions that people were stuck with and the sentences that then ensued were, like you said, mandatory minimums. They had to stick people with these really, really harsh sentences. And, you know, Kemba, I read that you were stuck with a sentence that was had a penalty that was greater than the average state sentence for murder or voluntary manslaughter. If I think it could be helpful for people to understand on that day in 1994 what you were convicted of and if this law is even still on the books. As far as the laws being on the books, um, my charge was drug cons- drug conspiracy to, to distribute um, crack cocaine, even though the prosecutor said in the courtroom that I never handled, used, or sold any of the drugs that were involved. The prosecutors um, hold more power than the judges do. And so um, I I wasn't convicted. I actually pled guilty. And when I pled guilty, um, my attorney um, presented me with a document that I needed to sign. And when I signed the document, I noticed before signing the document, I noticed that it had a blank line as far as my drug weight. And I can remember saying to him, you know, I'm really scared. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. And he says to me, well, Kimba, I'm really scared, too. And that's not something, you know, someone wants to hear coming from their lawyer. But it wasn't until later after I signed the document where the prosecutor inserted 255 keys of crack cocaine. And so based on that amount of drug weight, Back then, it didn't give the judge any um, leverage to be able to go outside of the drug sentencing guidelines, because if you had X amount of weight, you automatically got sentenced to um, X amount of time based on uh, your um, PSI that dictated what your sentencing guideline range would be. Wow. 
So, Cynthia, for those who might not be aware of what the war on drugs was and its continued legacy, what were these laws and policies that ensnared and continued to penalize people like Kemba with these unjustifiably harsh sentences? So we saw the origin in the Nixon administration, and we know that Nixon's aide Ehrlichman has admitted that um, it really wasn't illegal um, to do some of the things that were made illegal, but they wanted to criminalize Black people and uh, people they call hippies at the time, people who didn't agree with the Vietnam conflict. And so increasingly you saw across our nation the laws with respect to drugs becoming more and more severe. There was almost a race to the bottom, as it were, to prove who could be the toughest on crime. And ridiculously, we saw three strikes, like baseball, right, in our criminal law, which is ridiculous. Now, importantly, in a case like Kimba's, first of all, Kimba wasn't involved in the conspiracy. She knew about it. And you heard Kimba say, I pled guilty. Not because she was guilty, but because she was trying to minimize the horrendous impact of her being charged in this conspiracy um, with getting a mandatory minimum. But also with respect to crack, the sentencing disparity between crack cocaine and powder cocaine at that time was 100 to 1. It's now been reduced to 18 to 1. It should be 1 to 1 because there's no chemical difference between powder and crack cocaine. We just know that crack cocaine was insinuated into Black communities and Black people were criminalized for crack cocaine and then the sentence was more stiff. So, you know, that's sort of the background around how you see someone as wonderful as Kimba in college, you know, about to have this amazing life ahead of her, get ensnared in what what was intended to be, right, uh, a trap for her for a black person to be ensnared into our criminal legal system and and frankly buried in the bowels of our jails. And if I can add as well, like with regard to women and incarceration and in light of this topic, clemency, um, oftentimes you find women get in certain um, criminal lifestyles, certain situations because of the trauma that they've endured um, in a relationship. And oftentimes none of that is taken into consideration. And so, you know, for me, my crime was that I chose to be in a relationship while I was a student in college with a drug dealer who was abusive. And when there was expert testimony in my two-day sentencing hearing about the domestic violence and abuse, my judge was actually sleeping um, during this testimony. So that also was something that was included in my clemency paperwork um, that, that was filed by the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, which was reports from two um, domestic violence ex- experts about the domestic violence and abuse that oftentimes people don't take into consideration. But I do feel like, you know, regardless if it's um, domestic violence and abuse, a mitigating circumstance, or if, you know, a 16-year-old was grew up in a rough environment and now they're in their 40s trying to get clemency from a governor and they're no longer the same person that they were before, that these things, these mitigating factors should be taken in consideration. And they so often aren't. I read an article like two days ago from the Washington Post talking about how 
people who have endured sexual violence or domestic violence are so often, particularly Black women, are so often to be criminalized themselves. This isn't just a thing of the past. That is a a trend line that we see continue even today. I wanted to pivot a little bit to talk about who are the kinds of people who actually end up getting clemency. Um, Kemba, you mentioned in your story that it was due to the wife of someone on the sentencing commission that had read your story and was compelled. Who are the kinds of people who get clemency and and why is that a one-size-fits-all solution in the ways that it should be when you're giving these kind of one-off, quote-unquote, gifts of clemency? What I know of people that generally get clemency, um, they pretty much have the backing of an organization, a national organization. They've received um, significant media attention. Um, They have a a political representative that's, you know, in the ear, you know, with my particular um, case, Congressman Scott was um, my um, cheerleader uh, with the the Black Caucus and with the president. Um, But You know, even with um, my friend Alice Johnson, you know, she had, you know, Kim Kardashian, who was in President Trump's ear. And so, you know, I feel like clemency is a gift of mercy and it shouldn't be just for individuals that have the right connections or. um, And then also when you talk about clemency, sometimes governors and presidents want to play it safe. Um, You know, they don't want to deal with. Um, cases that, you know, may have a significant, you know, amount of drugs or if there was any violence that was involved or, um, you know, if there was violence involved in the case. And I really think that, um, you know, governors and presidents need to see people as human beings and consider the amount of time that they've served. And as a formerly incarcerated person, and I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to serve on the Virginia Parole Board, um, I think governors, again, need to just, and presidents need to just see people as, as human beings first and look at what type of opportunities that they could bring to our communities. When I go and speak to schools across the country, um, you would be amazed at, you could hear a pin drop in the audience when I'm sharing my story. And so when we have communities where there's so much violence and, you know, overdoses, the um, credible messengers to go towards our youth are people that have actually been through it and would want to guide young people in a different direction. So I love how Kimba phrases, you know, like part of the, the clemency idea, right? And that is this individual has done something wrong and deserves mercy. I think there's another part, and it is that our country has done something wrong and should give justice. And so that's one of the reasons we have the redemption campaign and have called for categories of people to be released, like the elderly, like people who, if they were convicted today, would receive a lesser sentence, people convicted of drug distribution and possession offenses, people who are incarcerated for technical violations of 
probation or parole. So while it's important to have that look at the individual as a one-off, as Kimba has described, it's also important for America to look at itself and say, we got it wrong. We need redemption too. And the way that we redeem the system is to make it right by the millions of people that we've incarcerated. And I have to say, Cynthia, you were really picking up on where I was going. Um, that this this can't just be one person here, one person there. That categorical clemency is probably the most efficient and effective use of the tool of clemency that we have to use to rectify the ways in which the American government has penalized and criminalized a group of people. Um, So the Biden administration recently released an update to the categorical issued in October 2022 for prior federal and D.C. convictions of simple possession of marijuana. Before we address the update, can you remind listeners, Cynthia, of this move by President Biden? Sure. So I'd love to claim it as our victory. And I think uh, it is partly because we raised our voices about uh, drug possession charges in addition to drug distribution charges. He's in essence sort of erased the conviction. Now, to be clear, none of these people were in prison because you are rarely in a federal prison for possession of marijuana. That's usually charged in the state. But what it can do for people is give them an opportunity to be employed in industries, including the up and coming legal marijuana industry, right? Uh, And to otherwise be able to check on an application for a job or for a loan or education, you know, that I don't have this conviction. Yeah. Okay. That is very helpful. So the war on drugs helped over-imprison people with first-time convictions and those convicted of minor offenses, this inequality helped fuel statistics like the fact that a Black person has a one in three chance of being incarcerated at some point in their lifetime and are incarcerated at 5.9 times the rate to white people and X people are incarcerated 3.1 times more. What are other convictions that the ACLU is seeking this kind of categorical clemency for? Uh, Thanks for that uh, question. Recently, Attorney General Merrick Garland issued a memo that instructed um, prosecutors to charge um, crimes involving crack cocaine so as not to trigger the 18 to 1 disparity in sentencing. And if the U.S. attorneys across the nation follow that, then at least during this administration, prospectively, we won't have folks disparately incarcerated because of crack cocaine and not powder cocaine. What we are asking President Biden to do now, this month in April, second chance month, is to uh, retrospectively give clemency to people who have been charged previously and are sentenced disparately because they were charged with crack cocaine. We've also asked President Biden to consider 
giving clemency to people incarcerated for technical violations. A technical violation of probation or parole can be something as simple as arriving late to meet with your probation or parole officer. And you might say, well, you should be on time. But if you live in a community that doesn't have good public transportation and you're poor and you don't have private transportation, getting to an appointment on time can be daunting. You've got maybe childcare issues if you're on probation um, because of being late. It's just outrageous. So we're asking President Biden to grant clemency to people who are incarcerated for technical violations of probation and parole. Cynthia, I was wondering to that end, if you could just give us a little bit of a taste of what are the main components of this redemption campaign that people need to know about and how, if possible, how could people get involved and become little Kemba's in their own communities, though they don't have maybe the personal story, but they've heard a personal story today. What can they do to to support that work? Thanks for that question, Kendall. You know, they can go to ACLU.org and go to the Redemption Campaign and see all of the calls to action that we have, one of which is asking President Biden through a petition to grant clemency to people. They can also reach out to their governors and boards of pardon and parole in their various states. And the truth is mass incarceration has been so massive that it's reached everybody. So it is a bipartisan issue. Folks understand that it doesn't improve public safety, that it harms communities. Um, And we've seen um, when President Biden granted Clemens, gave pardons, excuse me, to folks who were uh, in possession of marijuana. He encouraged state governors to do this as well. We've seen uh, Governor Kate Brown of Oregon, for example, grant clemency to thousands of people um, before she left office. And not only did she grant clemency to them, grant pardons to them, she erased the fines and fees, which can be very daunting uh, for people. I think it was more than $114 million in fines and fees that folks had to pay. And if you think about it, if most folks are incarcerated from poor communities and then they're even if they come home, they're saddled under fines and fees, it makes it difficult to re-enter. So I would encourage folks, not only to connect with the national ACLU, connect with your local ACLU in your state and with your governor and with your uh, boards of pardon and parole and let them know we want people home. I also think it's so incumbent on us as people who are listening to this and engaging, you know, this is a conversation that we're running on 420, right? Like for people who might be listening to this on this day is that, If you're going to benefit from the fruits of the legalization campaign, then you best be fighting to ensure that the people in your communities who've been impacted by these drug laws from these draconian sentences are accounted for and are released of of those, that burden uh, that we put on a whole generation of people um, to then now kind of change our ways and change our attitudes. It's time for us to lace up our own boots and, and make sure that we're a part of the, the solution. That is my plea to young people across the country who might be um, celebrating in some sort of way on 420. 
So I think one quote that I think could help up wrap this amazing conversation is from you, Cynthia, in the ACLU Redemption Campaign Report. You said, when we redeem one of us, we redeem all of us, which is why this campaign and this work that we're all doing together matters so much. What do you both hope that audiences leave here understanding about the power of clemency and the greater context of righting the wrongs of the war on drugs? My hope is that um, people will get involved in urging um, President Biden to exercise his um, his powers. And then as it relates to the quote that you read for me personally, and I hope I'll have the opportunity to come back at a later time, but I actually um, have a movie um, that is being made that is in its final edits um, that'll be out. But the purpose in that is to have my story be told on a broader plane where more people can understand the dynamics and want to help other people um, come out and um, see the injustice. You know, I've read comments in the past when I came home years ago where, you know, they said, oh, they just let another drug dealer out. There's so much criticism and so much fear mongering around people who are incarcerated. And that needs to be dealt with as well. So just, you know, educating the public and understanding who the fallen are and what they represent and how they do deserve a second chance. Amazing. Thank you. Cynthia, do you want to add anything? Yeah, just following on uh, what Kimba said, people are not disposable. And we have to stop treating people as if they're disposable in our criminal legal system. The truth is that there are some people in the system who need redemption and need to be redeemed, but the system itself needs to be redeemed. And, you know, as we redeem any one of us, we do redeem all of us. We redeem our hope that we'll have a system that has more justice and mercy in it. You know, my Twitter handle is justice is love because I believe that's the one thing that we're missing from our system. Uh, justice should truly have some love in it. Uh, and if it did, we'd see uh, more heart in our carceral system in America. I love that. Thank you both so much for joining, um, for giving us your time and for sharing a piece of yourselves with us today. I just really, really appreciate you and the work that you're doing. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kendall. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode about Liberty, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We really appreciate the feedback. Until next week, stay strong.